Warning, the cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the, tri for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Manor Park Podcast. This podcast covers rape and pedophilia cases, as well as highlight organizations that make it their mission in this world to fight for children. I appreciate you clicking on to my podcast and listening to these episodes. I also have survivor interviews that I share as well, which can be very graphic and heavy. But it's much needed to be heard in this day and age. Because, like a lot of people, I myself was not aware of how troubling and how deep this issue really was. Until I started hearing survivors and listening to the heinous and horrific things they went through. So thank you for clicking on this podcast and listening to these stories. While I know they're deep and disturbing, we need to know what goes on with the victims and survivors and what they went through so that we can try to identify the problem and then we can figure out how to solve the problem. My podcast is not for the light of heart. It's not for the faint-hearted at all. It's not for anybody with a weak stomach. These stories will change you mentally. They will make you question your faith. They will make you wonder why is it that the systems that are in place do not protect children and do not give justice to survivors. And that's what I want it to do. I want it to make you think. I want it to make you go and be curious enough to do the research as well and to go out there and seek the answers and find the truth to all of this. Because somebody has to. I myself is just a man who was tired of seeing these babies being harmed. And from there, it grew. And I found out so many different traumas that I never knew existed. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Thank you for supporting me. It does mean a lot, and it's much appreciated. And I'm glad to know that since I've started this journey, there are so many individuals out there that care about protecting children and helping survivors like I do. With that, here's the latest episode.
Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. This is going to be episode 55, titled Chickens with Syringes and the Wash, part 2 of the Samantha Haynes Chronicles. So as y'all heard last week, part 1, LA Adoption of Newports, the beginning of Samantha Haynes' story. We're continuing on the second part of her journey, which is where she finds her family out in New Mexico, her biological family. And how those experiences also changed her. She finds her family out there in New Mexico. And it is not what she pictured, y'all. It is not the image that she had that when she met her father for the first time. When she met her mother. And she shares those experiences. And the back and forth she went from New Mexico back to L.A. And the events that led her to being in what we called in our, in our interview The Wash. Now, I don't know, and she said, and even Samantha said it too, that I don't know if people call it the wash, but let me describe what the wash is. So in L.A., there is a gutter system, right? That big, massive gutter system that leads out to the, to the uh, Pacific Ocean, right? And there are camps of homeless people living in that, in that rain gutter system. Y'all seen it. I mean, hell, they've had it in different movies before, like Fast and the Furious. Any movie that had to feature L.A., there's a good number of them that have actually had the wash in there. For anybody that plays video games, yeah, played Grand Theft Auto Five, San Andreas. Y'all know that big, that big system, that the big rain gutter system that people race cars and up in there and everything like that. That's the wash. Y'all could imagine that, right? And so cops go in there all the time trying to get homeless people out of there because it it can be a dangerous environment. Not just because of the drugs and the homeless people and what where all the things that can happen when you mix those two things together but the natural disasters as well when it rains and floods out it can become a dangerous place you could lose your life in there you could drown you could a number of things so there's a safety concern being up in there but people that are homeless ain't got nowhere to go where the fuck you think they're gonna go at because if they try to go and sleep in the streets i mean you got all number of things to watch out for as well not just the cops but people that just will do things to you so there's that that's why i call it chickens with syringes in the wash first part is about the chickens with syringes which if y'all haven't heard my excerpt on my socials on either tiktok or on facebook then you're in for a treat and you're gonna laugh because of how stupid the reason why chickens with syringes was made for when i first state when i first started my episodes on this i said that it's gonna start off as a slow burn and get hotter and hotter well it's gonna kick up a notch now and in the next week's episode, it's going to kick up another notch. And it's going to go until it burns white hot. And it's going to it's going to get to that point to where you're going to see it burn white, white hot. And it's going to plateau staying white hot for a good while. And probably the very last episode I do, probably where it kind of slows down. But it, it really doesn't slow. It never goes back to that original slowdown point, like how it started. Like I said, y'all, this is a wild story. And it's still continuing on to this day. She's been freed for a good amount of years now. She's been in the free world for a good amount of years, but the story doesn't stop after she got out of prison. Y'all need to stay tuned. Stay tuned for next week's episode as well, where she talks about her TTI experiences. Thank y'all for clicking. Thank y'all for listening to these episodes. Here's part two of the Samantha Haynes Chronicles. I was sent to... New Mexico shortly after that the first time I ever see this is a whole nother weird freaking thing so Dallas's parents died in Texas so now we got to go all the way to Texas and get all the stuff well while we are packing all of their stuff 
they had a lockbox. In that lockbox, all of my adoption records, all of my like pieces of paper, like anything, you know, connected to anything was in that lockbox. So right when Dallas opened this lockbox and saw that there's phone numbers that she can call right now, she decided to drop me off right then and there in New Mexico. I'm 10 years old and I, I don't even, I can't even begin to understand what that means. Yeah. Like I have a, a real people, like I'm going to, I'm going to meet. And when I was a kid, I was super excited. I've had all these fantasies my whole life of what my real mom looked like, what my real dad looked like. I had all these fantasies of what they, they were like fucking shattered. Okay. That was absolutely out the window. First, New Mexico is like a desolate desert. I've I've been through it, yeah. Nothing freaking there. She goes into the La Quinta Hotel, calls them on the yellow pages, and my grandmother, Gaylin, the one who signed up the whole adoption in the first place, is the one who picks me up from the hotel. And she takes me back. If you were a parent that cared about your kid, wouldn't you want to at least see like what's going on? She Dallas knew that I came from a drug house yeah. and drug addicts and I wasn't, you know, the best taken care of. And I had a lot of issues like my neck is was messed up. There was a lot of things going on. And what would make her just drop me off at the hotel without even like going to the house to even see what kind of house it was or like say hi to Gay Lynn and sit with her for a second to see if she's even stable like yeah like that's like yeah that that's just batshit crazy yeah let's you know let's drink some tea real quick at your house and you know settle her in no no there was no settle in there was no house check there was no like drop me off at the damn hotel galen drove me to the house and there are chickens in the house crapping everywhere my hair my dad's there, weighs like a hundred pounds, and he is in a wheelchair. And I'm going, wait, what is going on here? And he is out of his rabid ass mind. Hi. So if it makes sense how skinny he he's standing up, he is 6'3". He was so small and sunken up. He looked like he was half dead. And I'm going, what yeah. the fuck is going on here? Like there's chickens like everywhere. Um, what well, so so was your grandma? Well, well, so was your grandma like in her sound mind and everything like that? Was like was Galen in her sound mind or was she just like? I'll get into more detail about that here recently because my little cousin just died of a fentanyl overdose on her property. She is. There's no way that her even now in her 80s, like basically deathbed, she is still not all there. There is something off about her. And this is head of CYFD. Okay. So on outward appearance, you know, like if you're stopping by and having like a quick conversation with her, but if you have known this person, at least if you've been seeing him for a couple of years, you'll start to think something's off here. So my dad is cooking meth in the house. Fuck. Like Walter White style. Like, like Yes. Holy shit. Yes. He gets hemmed up. Oh my gosh. I'll send you, I'll send you his uh, police record. You could look at, it's uh, David uh, Kirk Haynes versus um, uh, the federal, it's the feds. It's a fed case. Right? Yeah. He gets raided right when I leave. I'm not. Oh my even, God. 
Oh my holy shit, dude! Like, <laughs> and Galen goes to court, and you and when you read the document, it's so funny because Galen got on that stand and said the syringes were to feed the chickens. The uh, like it's the wildest lies. The pH strips were to test his pee because what he fuck? urinary tract infections. The uh, like the wildest. Oh my gosh! She said that the coffee f- filters, um, that amount of coffee filters was um, just just for coffee. He's a yeah. Or like there was just the an excuse for everything, everything, and it's in the paperwork. Like yeah, syringes to I, feed chickens. I mean, come come the fuck on. I mean, you just throw fucking seed. You 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 throw the feed on the ground. They fucking eat it. That that that's that's what you. That's how you feed chickens. All right. You you know. I I mean, I, I grew up out in the country. All right. Like, I've never ever in my in, in the thirty six years I've been on this earth ever heard any farmer. Or anybody I know out in the country feeding their chickens with syringes. Okay. What, like, the prosecutor, the judge, the jury, I mean, they must have been like, what the fuck? They, you know, just on that. Man, like, it is wild paperwork. But yeah, so she has enabled him to be a complete monster because he's feeding meth to this whole town. He is known for taking people out into the desert. Carlsbad is two hours away from the Juarez border. There's nothing like for two yeah. hours. At the time when I first went there, it was only like 20,000 people. Yeah. But feeding meth to everyone in that town. I mean, teachers, DAs. I mean, he was ruining families. And yeah, he is known to take people out in the middle of nowhere. He is known to give hot shots. He gave my uncle, John, a hot shot. And really, he hasn't been right in his mind since. So, yeah, like lots of people's lives, even to this day, to this day. Um, Man. So he gets um, a Fed case, right? And goes to right after I, so the visit was, I don't know, probably about a month tops. Um, and it doesn't matter. I'm still so excited. Such a culture shock alone for me. Yeah. Him being out of his mind. Like the only thing I remember is him showing me a bunch of card tricks like over and over again. It was just wild. I came back and since Dallas's parents were dead, they got married. So we went to Las Vegas. It was a runaway marriage um, with nobody else there. It was just me and them. Like, that's how lonely, like, we were. Like, they went to an Elvis Presley wedding. Like, yeah, like like one of those little chapels and everything like that. Like, in Las Vegas. It was just, it was just us. Like, gosh, I didn't understand why I was with them because I had a huge family. My mom, I met my brother. I have a brother. What? I have a sister. What? I didn't know I had all of these. And every, I have three cousins. Like, what's going on here? How come? Why, why am I here with, with, with you? Yeah. Why why am I even here? There was really no reason to take me out of my family. So was your mom uh, in a similar situation as your dad? Like she was, I mean, I, I think like she was addicted and everything like that as well. She she's a professional fighter, actually, and she has like fought in the octagon 
in Los Angeles and everything. And yeah, she's she's holy shit. Yeah, she is a beast. Um, so she's just as crazy as my dad, really. Um, my dad didn't get into that car crash uh, until later on. He was 21 when he got into a car crash. Actually killed his best friend, turned him into a vegetable. He was um, the one in the passenger. And he actually got his first vehicular. He got his first manslaughter charge um, when he was 21. The same the same age I happened to pick up a manslaughter car- charge. Isn't that wild? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah time i barely learned this as i got older because but yeah i don't they, oh, gosh and i just really think dallas and ken were crazy like i just <laughs> i think there's just something off about them but <laughs> yeah I, I, I mean yeah i mean just the, the couple of side stories alone yeah at the elvis presley fucking las vegas wedding all right Okay, okay, I get it, I get it. Then it just spiraled out of control because I was alone. There was no bond. I I met my entire family, and to me that kind of made it worse. Wait, hold up. You you said, you know, just a few years ago that nobody wanted me and that I had nobody in life and you could just abandon me in the foster care system and I don't have nobody without you. That's the things that she would tell me. So that's what I believed. Right. That I was alone in this world if it wasn't for her saving me from being alone. That's what I thought. So this was a huge kind of crush to my reality on multiple levels. And I realized that my grandparents told me, they said, hey, we were trying to find you. We didn't know what happened to you both sides because my parent my grandparents got divorced but so one grand grandparent tried got an attorney and tried to find me but my records were sealed yeah they couldn't find me after the adoption at all and how are they going to know to go look in texas and specifically look for a tiny little town called mineral wells that nobody knows exists like (sighs) And figure out that that's where my adoption originated. And how are they going to find out that I was now in Los Angeles? So I was just missing. For most of my family was trying to find me. And Trish gave me over to Galen. Galen took advantage of her completely. She didn't, I don't think even Galen knew that I was going to be that far away and just completely cut off. Galen thought I was going to be raised with her uncle, Sydney. Remember? Yeah point she wanted me to go to her uncle so i I think really everybody kind of got shocked with like never ever you know seeing me again until like i just disappeared for 10 years after this i was like hey wait hold up hold up i think i should just not be here with y'all anymore and my behavior got worse by the time i hit 13 my behavior was so bad dallas was like if you graduate eighth grade i'll let you go to new mexico for the summer And so my eighth grade year, I probably didn't act better in my life. All right, because I wanted to go home to see my family. I did, and I ended up going, stayed for a whole two months, and this was a whole nother blow. This was when Galen told me that Trish took $800 for me. Okay. What? Like, Like, what are you talking about? She took $800. She said, my mom sold me. 
I don't know why okay. you a 13 year old that one that already, you know, I'm, I'm probably already sorts of, I probably don't act like a normal, healthy, developed kid in the first place. Like she, she sold you for $800, like to, to be adopted. So here's the thing. None of that makes any sense. None of it. You know why? Because Galen told me it was for lawyer fees. Bullshit. Bullshit. There was no yeah. involved. And an agency would pay for medical care, right? They would, but right. for the birth, there was no Medicare. Like there was no medical bill. There was absolutely no lawyer bill because that was the only thing that Dallas was required of. Oh, and a home study, but they did a home study in mineral wells what was the whole point of that home study like what was the whole point of that so she had to do two things she had to pay for all of the court fees and the attorney which i think her parents just did and they needed to have a home study which was at her parents house and all of my paperwork was with her parents too like her parents orchestrated that whole thing but i don't it makes no sense where the 800 came from my mom says to this day, it just came in a white envelope. So it just came out of a bank somewhere, right? Right. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Galen's story once was it was paying for att- attorney. Yeah, she. I think she always said it was paying for attorney fees. She's like, oh, it didn't even cover attorney fees. No shit, $800 doesn't cover any fucking attorney fee. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. like be for real right now while you're talking to me, Galen. Galen. Man, she, she's got a big problem lying too. But it just made no sense. And either way, I was devastated by it. Uh, all of my cousins were there. And we got drunk the entire weekend. I mean, we were trashed. What were y'all drinking? I, hard liquor. We were even doing, I guess I went back to California and asked my mom about beer runs. So, I mean, we were doing the most and it was in Galen's house. And she would yeah. go to sleep at like six o'clock and wake up and there would be puke everywhere. Like we would be jacked up and nothing. She just like acted like nothing was ever going on. So we just did the m- most at 13. Like we were smoking. Yeah drinking we were doing whatever we could at 13 years old yeah hard liquor and uh and and smoking that's not that's not a good mix with a 13 year old teenager that's for damn sure well lexi was the oldest of the cousins she is three years old so she was around 16 so that kind of makes more sense as a 16 year old you know you're partying like that but yeah she lived in Galen's garage, which this comes to play a lot. This is where all the dirt happens is in the garage, like forever. And I mean, like for generations at this point, that garage is cursed. But so she lived in the garage and she had, you know, a 21 year old boyfriend that would buy us all kinds of alcohol. And that's how we, and smoking weed. And that's how really we had our connection to endless amounts of booze and, weed and all of that jazz was through Lexi and her boyfriend that was way too old for her I just don't know what the hell Galen wasn't doing I'm just gonna I, I know what she wasn't doing you see what I mean like I that's yeah awesome. yeah just like letting er- anything and everything happen I mean people, uh, 
would step in the puke. There's no way she was she would be able to miss that. Like us being fucked up like that all the time. Well, yeah. I go back to California after that summer. I'm not okay at all. I start school at Van Nuys High School. It's my first high school. I ditch the whole time. I get caught stealing a bottle of alcohol. I get locked up in my first psych ward, which is Reseda Hospital. And um, I walked out of that place and on my fifth day, this couple came to visit. I don't know how I pulled it off, but I did. And I convinced the couple to let me walk out with them. Holy shit. And I just walked out, but I had nowhere to go. So this was my first night that I slept like on the streets. I slept on one of those like apartment complexes that, you know, had no fences. I slept on the stairs, you know, on the outside steps in the apartment complex. Gosh, and then I started my damn period. So I was bleeding and it was just no, it was just no way, no, I was freezing. I had to go back because I had no, I had no idea what the hell I was. I was literally alone on the streets in Van Nuys no good so I walked all the way oh and that couple gave me a ride like I I don't even know I went to my friend's house that lived near the high school but that was that was it I had to I had to so I walked all the way back to Reseda hospital and I remember ringing on the in order to get into the elevator you have to uh answer a button you know when you press the button yeah check in yeah I remember I I was like I'm supposed to be in there and they're like, what? I'm supposed to be the girl that left a few days ago. And they're like, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. We would like you to come back. Yeah. Like, what? So they buzzed open the elevator for me. Oh, my gosh. Who does that? Walks right back in because they have nowhere to go. Um, eventually, I was released from there. But really, it got worse. Uh, I started running away. I went to Silmar High School. I was kicked out. I had gone to so many schools in Los Angeles already. So I had been kicked out of Van Nuys. I was kicked out of Silmar. And I went to, um, okay, so after that, I had to go outside. But Dallas and Ken moved to a place called Santa Clarita, which is like a fancier, it's fancier than L.A., right? Yeah. now in the suburbs what we have now moved up in the world i'm 14 now so it took a took a while to kind of get out of la and out of those apartments and stuff but slowly she slowly got up there we got better and better and um she moved up in her career in la usd los angeles unified school district yeah and uh so now they've got to put me in saugus high school in santa clarita that was no better. Now I'm in this spritzy, stuck up. Now I, I am grungy. I'm a little punk rocker at this point. I remember sitting on the bus stop with some clothes that I got from Goodwill and a girl named Jackie Lowe comes up to me and she's like, what are you doing on this bus stop? And I was like, oh, just, you know, hanging out, <laughs> living my best life. Yeah. Alone and... I had this big burn on my arm and she was like, what in the hell is that from where I, I, I uh, branded myself and she was just really concerned. She was my age, my grade and everything. And she's like, well, I think you want to just come hang out with me for a little bit. So I go to her house, we get on a bus, 
we go to her house. Her mom is like, so what is going on here? You are looking pretty rough. I said, well, I'm, I have nowhere to go. And her mom did not believe me at all. Her mom was like, okay, well, let's go to your parents' house, okay? And we can, you know, figure this out. Well, we go. It was obvious. Rosalyn was Jackie's mom. It was yeah. really obvious to Rosalyn. We pulled up to this nice big house. They were living in the trailer parks. Rosalind's going, oh, no, these people want their daughter back. And she realizes, no. And she goes, you know, I'm just going to, is it okay if I just keep her at my house? They're like, yeah. She's like, okay, well, will you sign something so that uh, I could enroll her into, you know, make sure that she goes to school? Like, like we, we've got all of this figured out. Can I get a phone number? Rosalind wrote down, like, five different phone numbers her home phone you know remember we had home phones she had a cell phone had a work phone she had um you see what i mean like she wrote down a whole slew of phones so just in case you know gave her the side boyfriend's phone number just in case if you guys needed anything like and i I think they didn't even want to go into the house and write it down on a piece of Wait, wait, wait 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 hold on stop just a second uh the side boyfriend's number too yeah, Rosalind. I'm saying Rosalind's side boyfriend. You see what I mean? Like she gave them all kinds of. Wow. So, 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 oh, okay. Cause I'm like, I, 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 it took me a couple seconds to register that. I'm like, holy shit. So like, she, she, she's like making sure phone. she could be tracked down. Yeah. She's making sure she'd be tracked down. Phone, everybody's phone number. And uh, to make sure that, you know, if anything happened, she would be there. She was like, can I get your phone number? Like, I'm going to be having your daughter. Don't you want me to call you if something goes wrong yeah Yeah. like and the way the whole thing Rosalind knew right then she was like you know what um nope I'm not gonna take you back to these people at all they took me in for a few months I stayed there in their little trailer in their little trailer with her and her daughter I remember Rosalind wrote a long page letter to all of my teachers, like to try and like, she was trying as much as she could. So I went to visit New Mexico the last time I got in touch with, uh, there's a kid out there named Jed Adams that I went to school with out there. So I did go to school for a little bit in, okay, sorry, I messed up. So Uh, let me just backtrack right before Jackie Lowe's house. So when I was in Van Nuys, see, that's why it wasn't piecing together. When I was in Van Nuys and I picked up that charge for um, stealing a bottle, the judge told me that I had to go live. See how much I bounced around? It's hard to keep track. Um, The judge in Van Nuys said that I was out of control. I had already AWOLed from the psych ward. I stolen bottles. I have multiple truancy tickets where I lied about my name on all of them. So they, they didn't even know how much trouble I had really even been in. So they sent me to go live in New Mexico with my biological mom and my brother and my grandparents all in the same house. I remember um, the first night I got there, my mom got real drunk. She held me all night crying. Um, that she didn't mean to lose me like that. I don't know. It was a emotion. First, I was kind of upset that she was all drunk and on me, you know, in, in one sense. In the other sense, I was like, well, then why did, why did you 
do that to me. Like there's a whole yeah. of emotions that came with that. I did not do well with them. I got in trouble at school. As soon as I started getting in trouble, Trish was on my mom, Trish, my biological mom. She was on parole. And I think she was just up with my fucking behavior. She even had called the cops to see where I was. And I was just, I spent the night at my friend's house. She called the cops on me. So she was on some sort of high horse. I think it was parole that did it. Um, She's also, I think, a little OCD. So I got high anxiety. She's, She's definitely got a lot of trauma going on too. I don't know what happened, but she decided to send me back to... LA. Now, the judge court ordered me not to be back in LA until I was 18 years old. That's what they, I don't think my, okay, so listen, Dallas and Ken were whispering in that judge's ear during the court hearing and were whispering in her ear. And I believe they said that they basically wanted to, they didn't want any responsibility of me anymore. So 18, right? So I think they and was like okay just send her to live there and that's fine like my biological mom took me it wasn't I wasn't there for very long probably a couple months she took me on a red-eye flight in El Paso all the way back to Los Angeles Dallas and Ken picked me up but it was the same shit from them and that is when I ended up at Jackie Lowe's okay that's when Jackie Lowe found me at the bus stop so but when I was at school there in New Mexico, I met a guy named Jed. And from then, from Jackie's house, I was still in contact with all of them. And I was kind of in love, I guess you would say, like, with with this kid. I asked to Jackie Lowe's mom, I was like, hey, will you help me get a Greyhound bus ticket to go back to New Mexico to live with him? R- Rosalind definitely wasn't going to send me to back to Dallas again, you know, but yeah. He was like, all right. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll send you to New Mexico. And also I've got like another like biological neat you see what I mean? I still have a connection to New Mexico. I always for some reason go back to New Mexico. I took a Greyhound bus to New Mexico. I started living with Jed and his dad. And we just partied nonstop. It was a place where I can party. It was a place where I knew that nobody was going to be crazy. I mean, like I was allowed to be crazy and nobody was going to stop me. And we just wild out. It was a crazy. I stayed there for about six months. Then I got arrested and sent to juvenile. To juvenile. Yeah. What did you get? What did you get arrested for? Run away. Run away. Yep. Being How'd you get caught? Actually, what happened is. Jed and his dad started boxing. And since they were in some sort of drunken, I don't know, they were like just throwing blows. And when that happened, um, I took off. That was when Dennis called the cops and said that I was a runaway. The cops picked me up immediately. I don't know how they found me. But I, so that was the first time I was in juvenile detention. It was in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I was, yeah, around 14. It was still, this is still all in my ninth grade year. All of this. I had a gajillion different high schools. Dennis, his dad, um, Jed's dad, Dennis, even uh, signed me up for school there. Oh God, it was just, it was just nuts. Like I, I'd already been to 
too many schools already been back and back and forth. It's like a re-relinquishment every time you do something like that. But anyways, this is where it gets pretty bad. They send me on a plane. I don't know what they are doing because I'm not even allowed to be technically back in. So they send me back. It was the weirdest thing. They drove me to the El Paso airport and just dropped me off. The cops, the police. That's how I was released from juvenile detention. Back to the El Paso airport. Yeah. So you just go, yeah, you go back to LA? (laughs) Yes. So I I was like, all right, well, so I get back, I go back to LA. At this point, I am real homeless. I had already been back and forth and back and forth. And I have, they're called Mohawks, it's two Mohawks. And I am just ready to be on the streets at this point because I had already done six months of just crazy time with. Um, Jed. Well, so what happened with Rosalind and Jackie? Well, I kind of, I kind of left them, and at this point, I'm even more feral than, than when I was already at their house. I think that Rosalind saw that I was a little wild and and I was a little hard to control. It was a lot of work. So when I asked to go to Jed, that's why it was a little easier for her because she, I was a, I was strain, I was a strain on her already, yeah. and I. I knew it, uh, or I felt that I was a burden. Anyways, I felt like I was a burden to everybody because that's how I was treated with, I felt like a, they treated me like I was a burden, Dallas and Ken did. So from every place after, it's gonna be, that's kind of ingrained in me at this point. That's all I knew. Yeah. Well, could, I, could I ask before you continue on, did you did you ever get back in touch with Jackie and Rosalind and tell them that? And... I am still friends with them. Yeah. Yep. But, so after all these years, what, what, what did Rosalind say? Like, like, would she have taken you back? I think you'd come back. Oh yeah, probably. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Knowing her and 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 Jackie was devastated. She, it was like a, an abandonment for her. She was really yeah. close. She was alone in that house. Her mom was kind of has some issues, you know. Yeah, I think I think it really hurt Jackie when I left her. She didn't understand why I left her. She was like, "We're are we not good enough? Are we not?" Yeah. I mean, she's got her own uh, abandonment issues with her dad. So I think that I was like a sister, you know, I was a sister to her and I was a saving grace for her and I left her. And I think I, I knew that too. I think I hurt her feelings. So, and I just didn't want to be a burden anywhere. So I went straight to the streets. Like I went living in a tent in the wash. The wash is uh, like the gutter system in yeah. LA only fills up you know during the rain season like around february and stuff yeah where like they'll do like street races and shit like that up in there too and everything as well yes and uh yeah oh yeah i, I know it's uh for anybody that's listening that doesn't know because I, I i know exactly what it's in my mind and people have seen it in movies and everything like that it's that huge rain gutter that runs through la it, it just and it goes out into the ocean and everything like that when everything overflows and overfills during the rains it it's their filter system to flow back out. Yep. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you said. You were living out there, and that was called the wash. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I learned something new because I never, I never knew it was called the wash. I, I just, I know, I like, I can picture it in my mind, and everything. Uh, exactly what you're talking about, though. You know, I don't know if it's called the wash or if all of us hobos just called it the wash. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just, yeah, it's the gutter system that flows out into the ocean. In Santa Clarita, the gutter system is 
filled with massive trees. I mean, they, they grow, I don't know how in the hell they got there like that. So this gutter system is a forest within the city. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it still overflows with water, uh, but, and it's a huge issue. Apparently cops really don't like homeless people to have a tent in the wash. It's dangerous once. I mean, you could wake up and it'd be full. You'd you'd be down the fucking, you'd drown, right? Yeah. So we had to cover our tracks in the sand and in the dirt. And we had this intricate way. Now, all of these people were um, a lot older than me. I did have a boyfriend that was 17 at the time. His name is JJ. But most everybody else, there's Troy Strong, He's dead now. Most of these people are are dead now, but they were all in their like 20s. I don't think they realized how young I was out there. I didn't tell anybody either. Yeah. So we we had broken trees that we like would remove would because cops would go in there in four wheelers and they would fly airplanes over the wash to make sure they didn't see any smoke from fires. Any so we had it all set up. It was about like a 40 minute walk just to get to our spot that was hidden yeah so it was a whole nother lifestyle really and uh we would just steal food from albertson's and steal beer and steal everything we needed to party and then go into the wash i remember um it was getting colder and we got we were getting hotel rooms because troy was selling like glass pieces from this bong shop he had like a side business with them like they you know gave him a certain amount and he was supposed to sell them so we yeah. were setting up hotel parties just so that he could um sell these pieces i remember looking out the window and i mean like this is the first time i've done ecstasy um we are smoking meth um we are like these are older i am with an older homeless rugged crowd right yeah and uh my boyfriend was the youngest and he was not 18 at all i remember looking out the window all fucked up and it it looks like it had been pouring rain all of our stuff is washed down the wash so glad we were in a hotel room because who knows us being high or drunk or whatever if we would have been able to get out in time because the wash was over flooded i think at this point Dallas, I think, was worried I was going to do something to get her in trouble. Okay, that was the whole, that was their outlook on my entire childhood anyways. That's why they moved me from school to school, because they didn't want to be dug into. They didn't want to get in trouble for anything. They didn't want, Yeah. Um, they didn't even want me to have a stable therapist, because they didn't want uh, me to expose anything dangerous to the therapists like them smoking weed it was still illegal back then like them whatever so yes dallas was scared to get trouble at this point and she knew that i was homeless in the wash so things amped up for her she went and decided that i needed to be put into the troubled teen industry so she picks a place she definitely wasn't going to put me in a wilderness camp because I'm homeless and she, yeah. that wasn't going to fucking, you know, help me much. So she wanted me in, in a lockdown institution. So she put me in Provo Canyon school, Utah. Provo Canyon, Utah. 
That place is very famous among TTI survivors. Good God. Oh, the stories from that place that I've heard about. Another interesting fact for y'all, and y'all might know this individual, is that Paris Hilton was sent there as a teenager. Yep, Paris Hilton. And there are some horror stories out of that fucking place. I'll tell you that. So, if you don't know what the trouble teen industry is, obviously you must be new to this podcast. I have at least about a half dozen stories, interviews on here about it. My co-host Sabrina Young is, is a survivor of the trouble teen industry as well. And we've shared her story very in-depth. I think it was almost a three-hour interview I did with her. This was before I had a lot of structure. I would have broken up her story into some couple of pieces and everything like that. But you can go listen to that that story that she did. I think it's episode 22 on my podcast. And hear what she went through. And she was talking about her book as well that she was writing at the time that's now published. Called Dear Renisha, Turning, Triumph, Turning Trauma into Triumph. I'm sorry. Sorry, Sabrina, I messed up the title. It's Dear Renisha, Turning Trauma into Triumph. Definitely a good read. You should check it out. Only announcements I have for anybody right now is that I'm working on getting some other interviews lined up. Some good interviews with some people that I met on TikTok that I simply respect, love, and adore. And so you'll hear those after the, you know, the, after the conclusion of this saga with Samantha Haynes' story. It's going to be a good bit of episodes on this. I'm... Um, I've originally said it was going to be five or six episodes. It might go more than that. So just be on the lookout, y'all. I'll keep you updated on uh, TikTok, especially, and on Facebook as best I can. So just be on those, you know, be on the Man Apart Facebook group or on my Man Apart podcast TikTok page, and you'll be caught up to date with a lot of uh, any kind of announcements I have. You can more than likely find them on there. I will say that if uh, if you're not on those groups or, or or following those channels, please do. I'd really appreciate it. It would help out as well. And another big help from a lot of you that I would love to have is word of mouth. Share this podcast. Share these stories. You don't even have to share the entire podcast. If you have an episode you like, you go, you know, this was a really good episode, share it then. Let other people hear what you find is interesting as well. There are a lot of you that have come up and came up to me and have spoken to me on either online or even in person now, which is getting surreal. I have people that like, oh yeah, I listen to your podcast. And I'm like, you do? Yeah, I love your podcast. I'm, I never would have thought of that. I never thought I'd have the amount of people like just loving this. You know, when I originally started this, I was just... I was mad, I was pissed off, full of rage about how horrible these monsters are that hurt our babies. And like I keep saying, you know, it grew from there because I got to learn about different traumas and I got to learn from other people's experiences and hearing their stories. And it's worth people knowing about them. We need to have these conversations. We need to remove that stigma that this is not conversation for polite society. Because that's how the abuse continues, y'all. It might be uncomfortable for us to talk about it. But imagine how it is for the victims. 
They have to live through it. So it's at least, you know, I feel it's incumbent upon us to at least have these conversations and start talking about them because they're heinous. And if it makes you cringe, if it makes you uncomfortable, it needs to. That's a good sign that it does because at least you have a soul and you care to some shape, form, or degree. You know, I... What do we do about it? Well, I'm using my voice as best I can. I can't help everybody, and I, and I can't save anybody, and I, you know, I I do what I can with what I have. That don't mean that you shouldn't do nothing. Doing something is better than doing nothing, y'all. Do something, even if you never get recognized for it. You will be recognized for the person that you, you know, by the person you help. You might inspire that person to spark off a revolution and do some amazing, wonderful things. I mean, look at what, go back and listen to episode 13 titled Mighty Moms. Beth McCormick went out into my parish out here in Livingston Parish, went to one of the worst neighborhoods out here and started feeding those kids. Just giving them snacks and treats and stuff like that. Doing community outreach for years. Until she finally got a 501c3. Started getting kids out here in Dem Springs. The schools fed. And then all the schools in the parishes have... I mean, all the school in the parish out here in, in Livingston Parish adopted her program. And these kids who would otherwise go hungry, starving, over the weekends or wherever else it may be. They're getting fed. They're getting some kind of nutrition somewhere. You just don't know what you do until you put one step forward in front of the other. So I encourage any of y'all, use your voices, use your skills, use your talents. Do something. Because it's far better than doing nothing. You know, being on the sidelines, just don't cut it no more, y'all. Bitching about it on Facebook, just don't cut it no more. And I say that because that's what I did. I'm guilty of that. And I had enough. And after Ezekiel Harry was brutally beaten by his mother's boyfriend, and then the mother helping him put that little baby's body in a duffel bag and then throwing, throwing that bag away in a trash can, that was it for me. I said, fuck all this. We need to start having these conversations so we can prevent that. So that we can learn. And I'm glad I did. I'll give you a story right now. I know this is announcements and everything. But I'll give you a little story. So there's a lady. A young lady. Who's a mother. She's a waitress. And she works at a restaurant out here in Denham. And me and my wife love her and adore her to death. She's sweet as can be. And the last time I spoke to her. She made me cry. I actually had to get in the car and cry. I'm actually tearing up now just as I'm recording this. Because my wife asked me something very important. She says, what do I get out of doing this? What do you get out of this? What are you trying to get out of this? I told her I just want to help people. Because I ain't in this for the money, y'all. This There ain't no fucking money in this. I've said that multiple times and there probably never will be. And that's fine. This young lady... 
we were talking. She asked me how the podcast was going. I said, it's going great. And then she just looked at me and said, you know, I want to thank you. And I said, for what? And she goes, without you. And she explained that she had a situation where her boyfriend was being verbally abusive, putting holes in walls, starting to become a domestic violence situation. And she said, without you, without the stuff you talk about, I probably wouldn't have had the courage to actually leave and break up with him and leave him. Because I'm not going to be put in a situation like that. He's going to abuse me. And so, I just, I was tearing up and I was trying not to. I got choked up so bad. And then when she left to go get her food and everything like that, I looked at Ainsley and I told her, I said, remember when you asked me what, what's in it for me? And she goes, yeah. I said, that's what, that's what it's for. Because you can help at least one person. If I can help one person, it was worth it. And I've helped more than one. But that's the most recent one that I can think of that just affects me. And I'm glad. I'm glad that I can inspire somebody. So when I say use your voice, your voice matters, it fucking does. Because I helped somebody. It was worth the nightmares. It's worth the anger. It's worth hearing these horrible, heinous stories. And just to help somebody. And you learn to you learn to grow in love. You learn to grow in compassion. You learn to grow in empathy. Because look, it's it's great and all. Hating on pedophiles. Fuck them. You know. They're pieces of shit. They're monsters. But the other side of it is being there for the survivors too. And to love them and to learn to love them. That's what they need. Just as much as they need people willing to stand up and, and, and fucking fight against pedophiles. And rapists and human traffickers and all these other fucking scumbag monsters. They also need people that are willing to love them and listen to them. And some people... They've never started their healing journey. Some people are different stages of their healing journey. Some people you can listen to and some you can't. And I can just tell you from experience on that. Listen to the ones you can, I guess. Do what you can with what you got. I'm not qualified to listen to everyone's stories. I don't have I don't have the right words to say for everybody. I, and I try not to. I just try to listen and do what I can with what I got. And I fail sometimes at that. So it takes just more than just one person to do this. It takes all of us. If you know a survivor in your life, you know somebody that went through some heinous things, I just want you to give them a call today. Message them, call them, whatever the case may be. Just tell them you love them. Will you do that for me? When you hear this, when you're hearing this point, when you get done with listening to this, just... Talk to somebody that you know. Tell them you love them. Tell them you care about them. 
Tell them that you're thankful that, that they're in your life. Do that. I don't care if it's a spouse, a sibling, a friend, you know, a family member, any I don't care. Just whoever it is. And if you get a chance to see them physically, give them a hug. If they allow it, they're okay with it. Give them a hug. And just give them the biggest, tightest hug you can give them and just whisper in the ear and say, you know, you're worthy and I love you. That will make the difference. That will change them. That changes people. Just do that for me, y'all. Well, look. I'll say it and I'll say it again. It's our duty to give children a safe childhood. To protect all children, even if they're not your own. And remember, the Bowman see and the Bowman never forget. Be loved to one another, except for pedophiles. Fuck them motherfuckers. I love you. Bye.